This morning we continue a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're ready for lesson number four, which has to do with trusting in God and the kingdom. We're going to pick up at chapter 6 and verse 19 in a moment. You might be getting your Bible and turning to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick up at verse 19. Let's back up and get an overview of what the sermon is about. The theme of the sermon is about the kingdom of God. I know that because... Prior to beginning the sermon, Matthew told us that Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God. That's what he's preaching here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, also in Luke chapter 6. The kingdom is repeatedly mentioned throughout the, 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 the sermon, which tells us again he's talking about the kingdom of God. What is it like in the kingdom? Here's our outline of the sermon as if this was the outline from which Jesus preached. And he preaches about the citizens of the kingdom. He preaches about the righteousness of the kingdom. And then he'll turn and talk about the exhortation to enter the kingdom. You need to be a part of this kingdom. We're in chapter 6, which has to do with our relationship to God. What Jesus is saying in chapter 6 and 7 is that being in the kingdom of God has everything to do with your relationship to God, chapter 6. It also has everything to do with your relationship to fellow man, chapter 7. And we'll start that in our study next time. Here's what we've seen thus far in the sermon. He talked about citizens of the kingdom. Here are the characteristics of those who make up the kingdom. And here's the influence they have on the world. I want people in my kingdom to be like salt and be like light. And then he talked about the righteousness of the kingdom harmonizes with the Old Testament. And it exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. This is my law different from the Old Testament law. Went further than the Old Testament law, but further than anything that the scribes and Pharisees ever dreamed of. And then in our study in chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, in our last study we talked about sincere devotion in the kingdom. This has to do with our relationship to God. Whether we're talking about benevolence, or we're talking about worship, or we're talking about self-denial, it must be sincere devotion before God. That's what God wants in this kingdom. Let's open our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. This section deals with trusting God in the kingdom. Full trust and confidence in God. What's the point? Let's fast forward and get to the end of our study. And when we get through, you say, well, what was the point? What, what did we just see? And here's what you're going to conclude, hopefully, when we get through, is that God is demanding total and unlimited trust in God. And you say, I do have total and unlimited trust in God. But some things Jesus may say to us may make us question, do I really? Do I really have total and unlimited trust in God? He's going to make two major points, and I'll repeatedly mention these two points. He's saying, don't put your trust in earthly treasures, but put your trust in God. He's going to say, do not be filled with worry." But put your trust in God. And that's what we're going to see in our study. Jesus is saying in this kingdom, God expects you not only to put our faith and our trust and our confidence in him, but to show it in how we live. Not a matter of just saying, oh, I trust in God. I have confidence in God. I love God and I believe in God and I trust in him. But demonstrate it in your attitude and in the things that you do and the thoughts that you have. Two major thoughts in this section. Trust in God, but not in earthly things. Trust in God and don't worry. And those are connected. They are laced together. Those are not separate thoughts. 
And you'll see that at verse 25 in just a moment. Let's focus on the obvious. Beginning at verse 19. By the obvious I mean, this is if we mention putting your trust in God and not in, you fill in the blank. I think it would be riches and would be one of the first things someone would mention. And that's what he's talking about. Materialism. A materialistic concept. So let's talk about verses 19 through 24. Notice in verses 19 to 21, his point here is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Let's read those verses and let's get the point. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's start with verse 21. Jesus is saying what you, what you value, where you give your attention, where your treasure, what you value is most important, what you consider to be important, what you think of most, that's where your heart is. That's where your devotion is. If it's material things, that's where your heart is, is on material. If it's on spiritual things, then your heart is towards spiritual things. But you're trusting God and not in material things. Let's back up to verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What's he saying? He's saying do not make earthly things the center and the heart of your life. He is not saying the material things are not important. In fact, he's telling us that we will be blessed with such. He'll mention that later in the context, verse 33, 34. But don't make earthly things material things, money and the things that money can buy. Don't make that the center and the heart of your life. Could that be the case? That we're doing that? We'll see more about that here in just a moment. Now he goes further to tell us at verse 19 that the things of earth are perishable. Here's one reason you don't do that. One of the reasons is that when I'm giving my focus and my, my attention and making that the center and the heart of my life, I'm not giving attention to God. More about that in a moment. But he's saying those things are perishable. Now notice again at verse 19b. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal. Those things are perishable. You see, if I give my attention to material things like money, just money itself and having money, what are you going to do when that money is stolen? Because it could be stolen. What are you going to do when the stock market crashes and it's no longer of any value? Because that could happen. You, you give your attention to an automobile and you spend all your money on this automobile and all your attention is having this fine car. What are you going to do when it's wrecked? What are you going to do when it's stolen? What are you going to do when it's stolen and you find out your insurance was no good? You have nothing of value. You, you lost everything that you put your cope and your confidence in. What about the, the material things, your house? What do you do when it burns? Or when a storm blows it away? You see, you put your confidence in something where moth can take it away or maybe rust can take it away or thieves can take it away. It's perishable. It's of no value to you. But let's go further. He is not saying we should not plan or be concerned. He is not saying don't have any concern for, about the future. Don't make any plans for the future. He's not saying don't make plans for retirement. Don't save for a rainy day. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. 
What does it mean, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven? Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, making heaven and spiritual things your focal point and the center and the heart of your life. The reason? Because what is the center and the heart of your life? That's where your heart is. That's where your devotion is. That's what gets all of your attention. That's your priority. So make spiritual things your priority. Now let's look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus talks about single-minded devotion. Let's get 22 and 23. The lamp of the body is the eye, and if your eye is good, the King James says single. Kind of a strange word, but we'll come back to that. Your whole body is full of light. And if your eye is bad, King James says evil, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you say, what on earth does that have to do? I thought we were talking about he starts talking about the eyes. And I thought we were talking about focus on material things. He's still talking about material things. The eye is the source of light for the body. You close your eyes and your body doesn't have light in. But the eye is the source of light for the body. The single eye, or the good eye, the King James rendering of single, is the healthier the sound eye. Your footnote will say a healthy eye. The evil eye or the bad eye is an unhealthy or defective eye. So the point is, a good eye lets the body receive light. The bad eye, the whole body is full of darkness. You say, okay, I got that, I got that. I, I don't understand what he's talking about. What's he talking about? Well, his point is, the mind, which is the eye of the heart, is not to be blurred, nor is it to be clouded with concern for material things. If you have this single eye, perhaps that's why the King James uses the word single. You have single-minded devotion with your eye. Your eye is focused on spiritual things. Oh, yes, there's material things in the world, but I'm not really focused on that. My eye is focused on spiritual things, upon heaven and upon Christ. I'm not distracted and blurred, if that's the case. My eye is good, and my body is full of light. But if it begins to be clouded and blurred with things of material nature, then I'm not focused on spiritual things. So his point is, don't let your mind be blurred and clouded with concern over material things. Don't be materialistic. That's his point. Single-minded devotion that he just talked about earlier in verses 1 to 18. Now let's begin at verse 24, or look at verse 24 to bring that section to a close. He said, no one can serve two masters. Okay, I got that. What does that have to do with material things? Well, let's go further. He said, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, we'll come back to the rest of verse 24 in a moment. He just talks about servitude. You can't serve this master and this master at the same time because they're going to be giving different commands. You can't say, oh, well, I'm a servant of this master over here, and I'll do whatever he says. And I'm also a servant of this master, and I'll do whatever he says. But they're going to be giving contrary commands, and you can't do that. You either obey this one or you obey that one. You either love this one and hate that one or love this one and hate that one. You can't serve them both. Now, the application. Look at verse 24 at the end of the verse. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's riches, material things. You cannot be a servant of God and be materially minded at the same time. There is no way for that to work. And so what I'm learning from this, you can't be a slave of two masters. You can't think I'll be faithful in the kingdom, but I'm devoted to material things. Materialism has got a hold of me, but I'm still a servant of God. It doesn't work that way. So what has he just said in verses 19 to 24? He's saying in my kingdom, I'm expecting people to put their trust in God and not in earthly things. You say, okay, I got that. 
But what he's saying, wherever your attention is, wherever your focus is, that's what your treasure is. Where's your focus? We'll ask more about that in a moment. What he's saying is there needs to be single-minded devotion and don't let your mind be clouded and blurred with visions of material things. Because you cannot serve two masters. Let's raise some questions for application now. How, how do I take the principle here? You say, I got it. I, I got the principle. Materialism. And, and I'm not materially minded. I'm not wealthy. I don't have it. I just don't have what others have. And so I'm not a materially minded person. So I don't think Jesus' warning is concerning me. Or is it? Let's raise some questions. Do you focus more on the material or on spiritual things? Now get the question. The question is not, do you focus on material things? We all do. You had to get up this morning and think about putting clothes on, so you thought about clothes. You had, to, you had to get in a vehicle, so you had to think about a car. You had to close the door of the house, you had to think about your house. You had to eat breakfast, and so you thought about food. You thought about material things. Sure you did. We all did. But where is our focus? Do we focus more on spiritual things, or we focus more on material things? You focus on money and houses and cars and, and clothes and those kinds of things, this thing to do with this life, or are we thinking about using those tools for our spiritual life? Only you know the answer to that. Here's another question. Do you let money, and by money I'm talking about making money and getting more, take you away from the service to God? Now, that would include forsaking the assembly, but I'm not interested just in that. There's service to God in your daily life. Do, do, you, do you let money or making money or getting more money than what you have? Getting the way of your spiritual service, does it hinder your prayer? Does it hinder your Bible study? Does it hinder you being the father, the mother you need to be, the parents you need to be? Do you let that get in the way? But well, we need more money. So we can't have the vacation unless I, 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 I work a little more. So I do have to miss some service. Or, or maybe I, I'm working a little more neglecting the family so we can have some of the extras. Is that the case? Here's another question. Do you trust, and by trust I mean feel secure. Do you trust, feel secure with money, or do you trust... Feel secure because of your confidence in God. If you look at your bank account and you think about inflation and what's going on in our economy, you think, well, look at my bank account and there's several hundred thousand dollars there. I feel really secure about the future. I feel real good. You feel good because you have money? Feel insecure because you don't have money? Or do you feel secure about the future because of your confidence in God? Which is it? Maybe this passage does apply to me. Maybe we have more tendency toward materialism than I thought. Here's another question. What would you do if you lost all material things and money? 
What if you woke up in the morning and someone standing by your bed and said, you need to get out of this house because you don't have a house anymore. This is not yours. You lost it. Well, I'll just go get my car. No, that's not your car. You've lost that. Well, let me go to the bank and get some money. You don't have any money. You don't have anything materially. Still got brethren. Still got the Lord. What would you do? Have you lost everything or have you still got everything? Do you neglect something in your spiritual life because of material things and money? Are there some things neglected in your life because of material things? My attention on the material is causing me to neglect spiritual things. Is that happening? Maybe the warning of Jesus here is in my kingdom, this is the way it's going to be. Put your full trust and your confidence in God and not in material things. But he's not through. Let's start at verse 25 because here he's still talking about trusting in God. And he's saying here, put your trust and your confidence in God and don't worry. You might underline a key word at verse 25, and that's the word therefore. Notice the prohibition to worry. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Let's stop there and we'll come back to the rest of the verse in a moment. I want to suggest to you the word therefore tells me he's still on the theme of God versus material things. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought you said we shifted over here to worry. We did. But we're still on the same theme of material things. He's still talking about materialism. Because he had just said you cannot serve God in mammon, therefore, I told you to underline that, and there's a reason for underlining it. It's connecting what he just said with what he's about to say. Therefore, don't worry about your life. Listen to this very carefully. Get this point if you don't get anything else for the rest of the study. Those whose goal is wealth and those filled with worry have the same problem. Both are materialism. That point is so important, I'm going to say that again. You might have missed that. So listen again. Those whose goal is wealth and those who are filled with worry have identically the same problem. They both have a problem with materialism. The one on the one hand who says, I want more and I want more, I don't have enough, and I don't have enough money, I wished I had more and more and more, and they're just thriving for more and more money. You say, they're materially minded. You're right. And here's one over here who says, I'm not, I'm not wanting more and more and more. I'm just worried about what I have. <laughs> Got the same problem. Same problem. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you didn't already, go back to verse 25 and underline the word, therefore. Here's a connection. <coughs> Worry in our text is the same word for trouble. Do you remember in Luke chapter 10, this was the case of Mary and Martha. And remember... Martha, Martha, you are worried or troubled about many things. Remember that? You're troubled about many things. 
What's the idea of being troubled? It's the idea of being, being bothered, disturbed, anxious. She was in a tizzy about serving. She's trying to serve her guests, and, and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, the more important thing. But here is Martha about busy, and she's just bothered and upset about things. Same word. It's anxiety, troubled, undue, Bedag said, concern. Same word. Jesus is not condemning thoughtful planning and preparation. He is not saying, don't make plans for tomorrow. Don't plan out your meals for the rest of the month or the rest of the week and buy food accordingly and budget your food and budget your money. It's not what he's saying. He's not making that point at all. The point is not seen until we finally get to verse 33. This is a not but kind of construction parallel to John 6. Let's go to John 6. And just for a moment to get the, get the parallel first. Do you remember in John 6, 27 and 28, do not labor for, for meat that perishes, but that which is endures unto eternal life? Remember that? Don't labor for food. I thought we were supposed to work for food. Yeah, that's what he's saying. But your focal point is not to be just interested in the physical food, be more interested in the spiritual food, and this other takes care of itself. Same thing here in this context. It's this not but construction. So what he's saying, let's jump ahead, let's get ahead of ourselves down to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Do not worry. And then he tells us all about worry, having concluded that, which we're going to come back and wrap that up in a moment. But, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Rather than worry, put your full, your trust, confidence in God. Just like we said in verses 19 to 24. Now, Let's talk about the folly of worry. There was the prohibition of worry, first of all. We saw that in 24A, 25A. Don't worry. Don't be filled with anxiety. That is a form of materialism. That's what I want you to see. Now let's talk about the folly of worry. Didn't do any good. The first thing that he says, it shows that we don't understand the value of things. Show me somebody that's filled with anxiety and they worry and they're just fretting and they're, they're full of anxiety, they're full of fretting, the undue concern about material things. They're not pursuing after wealth, they're not wanting to get rich. But they're undue concern about material things, money, things that money buys. And I'll show you somebody that doesn't understand the value of things. Quite often the one who worries thinks they're the only one who understands the value of things. Take note of that. They may think they're the only one who really understands the value of money because they're worried about their money. They don't, you don't understand the value of money like they do. Jesus is saying, no, they don't understand the value of things. Let's see what he talks about. Start at verse 25b. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body than clothing? What's he saying here? He reasons from the greater to the lesser. Don't worry about your food. Is your body not of greater value than the food? And, and, and uh, 
Is your life not more value than the food? And don't worry about clothing. Don't be fretting about that and undue concern. Is your body not worth more than the clothing? He reasoned from the greater to the lesser. If the body is important and life is important, then food and, and raiment will be there. Just don't worry about that. Understand what is valuable. Then he goes from the other direction. Let's go to verse 26. Look at the birds of the air that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? He reasons from the lesser. God takes care of the birds of the air. They're of less value than you are. Do you think God's not going to take care of you? When you're fretting, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what, where, where the next meal is going to come from. I wonder what will happen next week. What if we lose my job? I don't know what's going to happen. Do you not think God's going to feed you if he takes care of the birds of the air? Do you not think God will do that? Now look at verse 27. He says it doesn't do any good. Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? Perhaps the word stature gives a wrong impression. It can have reference to height. And some have interpreted the text, which of you can, by worrying, if he thinks he's too short, he can, can he add anything to his height? I don't think he's talking about height. I think he's talking about the span of life, the milepost of life. Cubic being 18 inches. In fact, the New International says he cannot add anything to his life. The American Standard, the measure of life, the Young's literal says he can't add anything to his age. In other words, worrying doesn't add anything to you. It doesn't do any. You're worried about uh, what, what's going to happen. And by worrying, you don't add anything to your, you can't even add 18 inches to the miles of life. You can't do that. You don't add another second to your life. It may take it away, but you can't add anything to that. You don't make anything any better. It's fruitless and useless is what he's saying. Now look at verse 27 and 28 showing it's useless. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. God takes care of the grass of the field. Look at verse 30, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. God takes care of the grass of the field. God takes care of things beyond our capabilities. He clothes the grass of the field. He takes care of the birds of the air. Do you not think he's going to take care of you? It doesn't do any good. That's folly of worry. It shows we don't understand the value of things. And secondly, it shows that it doesn't, we, we don't understand that it doesn't do any good. And furthermore, it shows a lack of faith. Look at verse 30. If God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Well, not paraphrase that. Do you not have enough faith to think that God takes care of the grass, but he won't take care of you? Is that what you think? Do you not have enough faith that God will take care? He takes care of the grass. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the animals. He's not going to take care of you. He's not going to provide and make sure you have enough to eat. You think that's going to happen? Notice he said, oh, ye of little faith. So one filled with worry and anxiety is a form of materialism which shows we're not trusting and putting our confidence in God. Then I notice in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. God knows how to take care of us. And it shows that we're indeed lacking in faith. Now let's go to verse 34. Now skip verse 33 on purpose. We're coming back to that. Look at verse 34. Verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's he saying? There's enough trouble for each day you don't need to borrow from tomorrow. So my paraphrase, he's saying, you, you've got enough to deal with today without taking tomorrow's troubles and bringing it over. What are we going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do next week? What are we going to do next month? What's going to happen that's bringing tomorrow's troubles over to today? You've got enough to deal with today. Every day has its own troubles without bringing troubles from another day. That's part of the folly of work. So why is it so foolish to work? Because it shows we don't understand the value. It furthermore shows that we don't understand it's not doing any good. And furthermore, we're lacking in faith. And furthermore, we have enough trouble to deal with today without taking tomorrow's troubles. It's foolish. But he's not through. Let's go back to verse 33. I said we'd come back. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. These things what? These material things. We'll come back to that. Three things I want us to see at verse 33. What are we to do? Instead of being materially minded, instead of worrying, seek, he says. What does that mean? It means to strive after, to covet earnestly. It means you're going after something rather than waiting for it to come to you. If you seek an education, you're going after the education rather than, hey, if somebody brings me some knowledge, I'll take it, but I'm not going to work for it. If you're seeking money, you're going after money rather than if somebody brings me money, I'll take it, but I'm not going to work for it. Here's something you're going after, coveting, seeking earnestly, seeking it. What am I seeking? I'm seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The term kingdom is used in a number of sense. Sometimes it's used with reference to heaven. Sometimes the context will tell us when he mentions the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about heaven itself. There are other places where the kingdom of God has reference to the uh, church itself, like Matthew chapter 16. And in other places, like I think this text, he's talking about God ruling in the hearts of men, like Luke 17, 21. And what he's saying is, seek above all things for God to rule in your heart and to live right. That's to be your goal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek more than anything else for God to rule in your heart, control your life, and to live right. Now what place are we to give it? Seek first the kingdom of God, top priority. Say, so I'm seeking the kingdom of God, I, I am. But I'm not giving it my first place. There, there are other things more important right now. But, and I'm giving it some attention, but I'm not giving it the first and foremost attention. I don't know what he's saying. More than anything else, seek first the kingdom of God. Make this your priority. And then notice his promise. He might underline, and all these things will be added to you. All these things what? All these things what? What's he talking about? The things we worry about, food and clothing and raiment, shelter. 
the basic necessities of life. He didn't promise you seek first the kingdom of God and you'll have wealth. This is not a health and wealth gospel. You seek God first and you're going to become a millionaire. Didn't say that. Whatever money you have, you seek first the kingdom of God, you may lose some money. But you never will be without because the promise is you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So you say, I, I don't know. I don't know about what's going to happen next year. I just don't, I don't have a clue how I'm going to feed my family. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you'll, you'll be fed. You say, how do you know? Because Jesus promised that right here. You'll have it. Maybe somebody has to take care of you. Maybe brethren. Or maybe seeking first the kingdom of God means you're going to work and provide for yourself, like Ephesians 4 says. Doing the will of God means it'll be taken care of. Now let's raise some questions for application. You say, I I'm not sure that this applies to me. I'm not materially minded like the first section, and I certainly don't worry. I don't consider myself a worry wart, so... I don't think Jesus' warning applies to me. Let me ask you a question. Do you have money or does your money have you? There's a big difference, you know. Do you have money? I'm not talking about do you have a lot of money. I don't care if you have $10 or you have $10 million. It doesn't matter. Do you have money or does that money have you? Does it control you? Are you holding to that dollar like that dollar's about to get away and you, you're concerned about losing that dollar? You ain't got money. Your money's got you. He's talking about you right here. Let me ask you another question. Are you upset, bothered, anxious, disturbed about money and material things? Being concerned is a different matter, but are, are you upset about that and constantly bothered and anxious and disturbed about money and material things? Maybe this passage is talking about you. Here's another question. Do you give more thought to what something cost or being right with God? Are you worried about money and the spending of money to the point that I'm, I'm worried about material things? Or am I more really concerned? I'm not so much concerned about the, what something called. I'm really concerned about being right with God. That's what's really important. And the final question. I know this is impossible. Only God knows our thoughts. But let's just suppose other people could look into your mind and they could read your true thoughts. Not what you say, but what you really think. If others could read your thoughts and knew your thoughts, would they think you don't trust God to take care of you? I mean, you may be orally saying, I trust in God. God's going to take care of me. I believe in God. I have trust in God. I'm not worried. I'm not worried about what you say. What are you thinking? And if others could read your thoughts, would they look at you and say, you know what? I don't believe they trust in God to take care of them. I just don't know if they think God's going to take care of them or not. Because I see what they're thinking. And they're full of anxiety and full of worry. Trust in God in this kingdom. And not in earthly things. Trust in God in this kingdom. 
and don't fill our lives with worry and anxiety. There may be one more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand while we sing?